Hi, welcome to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. The show is designed for you, the marketer or entrepreneur, who may be looking for more effective ways to connect better with audiences through the exciting world of visual storytelling. We will introduce you to inspiring experts from diverse industries that bring fresh perspectives on how to capture attention, build trust, emotional empathy, and last but not least, drive business results. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Shlomi Ron. I'm the CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute uh, based here in uh, sunny Miami, Florida. And I'm really excited to uh, have you over uh, to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Uh, today, I have a very uh, exciting uh, topic to share with you. You know, we all talk about visual storytelling and how do you need to adapt it to different uh, markets and regions. So to explore this uh, fantastic area, I invited uh, Jacqueline El-Baghdadi. She's the regional marketing director at uh, Al Shaya Group uh, based in Dubai. She has over 20 years of experience uh, really helping global consumer companies like P&G uh, increase their market share by, by bringing to life their brands uh, in various uh, regional markets. So welcome to the show, uh, Jacqueline. Hi, hi Shlomi. Very nice to be with you. Excellent, yeah. So before we uh, dive uh, deeper, maybe we can start uh, with the beginning. Maybe you can tell uh, us a little bit about your journey, your backstory, how you got started, or, or if you recall that magic moment that, that made you decide, yes, I'm going to pursue a career in marketing. Oh my God, it was pure coincidence. So, <laughs> so until, until you said uh, a spark moment, I was going to just tell you, when I started to work, but uh, in reality, let me go one step back as well. So, so basically I studied for three years in my university computer science before I decided to move into marketing. Yeah. Uh, and I failed miserably because mm -hmm. I'm a very extrovert. I like to be with people, I like to speak. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I figured out that me and tech and only me and the programming was not the most amazing fit. Um, so I changed to broadcasting oh, wow. uh, in the very last year and uh, in the very last year actually and I took a challenge on myself that I still need to graduate in four years so I need to do the full major in one year do over uh, yeah. loads and figure it out and I honestly didn't know back then whether I want to be in marketing I want to be in broadcasting I knew I wanted to be in somewhere where I communicate and speak with people because uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is my, my, my edge and this is what I like to do. And then uh, halfway through the broadcasting journey, uh, one of my doctors told me that uh, it would be very hard for you to be a broadcaster mm -hmm. because you have a nasal problem that makes your sound pitch extremely, extremely, wow. extremely. Interesting. <laughs> and accordingly, I said, okay, done. I won't be able to be on TV. Then what is the next best thing? And uh, it was the time of consumer goods and, and FMCGs and really smart people are the only ones who get taken. So the way PNG recruits in Egypt is basically creme de la creme de la creme, like the best yep. people, the top of their class are the ones who get in. And still, you still need to do an exam like Anzillion uh, interviews. Right. And I went for it. So uh, it was a bit of a challenge at the beginning. And then um, I got there 
at the beginning, not as a, actually as a marketeer, but as an external relations manager. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of PR, influencer marketing, and everything that has to do with marketing and brand building, but not necessarily directly brand building. Oh, uh, and then nine years down the road, I was like, I want to move to brand building. I want to move to marketing 100% because I genuinely believe that the brands can do a lot uh, to the consumers in the region and despite that we're a global brand there is always a story that can make sense to one consumer in those region despite that what we're saying might be universal but yeah. uh, it's a matter of how to relate and Adapted, it has been yeah. the journey since then so mm-hmm. basically it's an amazing journey I love being with consumers that's my biggest passion so this is this is I think the moment because whenever I used to go to consumer research, this is uh-huh. the moment that makes me feel like I want to be in brand building because what she's saying, I can translate it into a story from the brand that makes her feel, ah, this brand speaks it's to me. Moment. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Wow, that, that's incredible. Wow. And to think that you came from a computer science roots, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Failed, failed miserably. Yes. Yeah. So I still yeah. tell the story. Yeah. I really like what you said about the brand building and uh, you know how you can uh, bring to life brands uh, using storytelling. So that kind of brings me to my next question. It's a question I ask all my guests uh, is uh, how do you define visual storytelling? So for me, storytelling is a very big concept. Everybody honestly define it in his own way and it's a yeah. very big global concept. For me, on a brand building level, storytelling is when a brand can marry the brand story to a consumer story that makes sense. As simple as that. So if I can marry my brand story, because every brand has an equity and has a specific story, a mission and a purpose um, that the brand is after. But whenever we can marry this story to a story that the consumer believe is her or his story, and when you see it visually in an ad content or social media content, they would feel that's my story. I think oh, wow. this is when it's brilliant. That, that's fantastic the way you describe it because that's how I communicate also to my clients. It's a, you know creating this magic moment where your brand story becomes your customer personal story. When they can see themselves mirrored in that story, wow, you got them. So. Yeah. It's brilliant what you just said. <laughs> and so you obviously worked for PNG for over 10 years. And uh, maybe you can give us a, a sense of uh, what is the end-to-end process looks like uh, when you're translating a global uh, uh, visual storytelling strategy uh, for PNG or Al Shaya uh, into local markets. How does it look like? You know, what, what are the steps that you're going through? I think today, um, what I learned in PNG, and honestly, I genuinely cherish a lot, is the first thing they tell you as a marketer in PNG is that consumer is boss. Yeah. And if you just take this into action, mm-hmm. it's 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 the recipe to everything. So we are global global brands, and even in my new role, which I recently joined, so won't be able to give you a lot of examples. Maybe in the next episode. Yeah. Shea is a franchise, uh, a franchisee of global brands. Mm-hmm. And the global brands will not look in every market and 
think I will develop a product specifically for these consumers or else they will go bankrupt. Yep. However, it's, it's about really consistently continue to say consumer is boss. That's the product that is coming from the globe. That's the brand equity. How can this equity and this product fit a consumer need in Egypt, in yep. Saudi? What do they want? Because all the global brands have very good quality brands. Yep. They perform the job, they do what they need to do, and they mm -hmm. are really global leaders. So I don't have a question on the brand performance, but I want to see from this brand that does 10 million things, what is the one thing I want to highlight as a story to a Saudi consumer versus what, I, what is it that I want to highlight for an Egyptian consumer? Yep. Because both their needs were not, is, are not the same. I see. So there you're going through some, what I would think, geolocalization, where you need to translate, a, as you said, a global brand equity to a, a local region. So are you doing some... What is your research looks like? Is it the focus group, interviews? So we do a mix of several things. Mm -hmm. One, there are consistently the, the database or the, the, the foundation, which is the brand health tracking. And this is very important. Without a brand health tracking, a brand is basically shooting in the dark. And it tells you the vibes. It tells you how consumers are perceiving you today. Where do you stand versus your equities oh, and attributes that you want to be? And basically, it helps you pose the right business questions that mm -hmm. you then take to focus groups and qualitatives. But I oh, wouldn't I go into qualitative shooting in the dark. Right. I need to analyze first, how is my brand being perceived? Is it close to consumer, far and distant? Is it young or... or, 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 or uh, old age, is I it uh, hip and cool? So this is the first step. Then based on what we see as an opportunity or where we're not connecting right with the consumers, this is where we go and we say, okay, we want to sit with consumers and understand more. What is it that they want? Which brand do they perceive, for example, young? Yeah. What do they, those brands do to them that we're not doing today? Mm -hmm. Why do they perceive them young? What young means to her? And accordingly, I can take that and do an action plan on how to visually give her the story in a young format. And I just took young as an example yeah, because of course. Most of the global brands have some, some of those young issues because mm -hmm. the very old brands that have huge heritage or great legacies, but then they always have those deep dives when... They start to become old age, old brand, my mother's brand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think uh, some of the research work is is so essential to understanding uh, what I call uh, these subjective meanings that uh, consumer hold uh, in relation to brands. Uh, and only once you interview them and can extract, you know, how they describe the problem, how they, you know, address the, you know, the product then you can really maybe even use the, the, their language of describing uh, these experiences in your uh, visual stories. So it's actually going to ring true when they're going to be seeing it uh, you know, distributed. So that's really exciting. Uh, what type of challenges you are really coming across when you doing your brand adaptation process or geolocalization? I think the biggest challenge or in the low income 
markets. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have a challenge of the customers are very basic versus what you're giving them as a brand and you need to bring it really closer, closer mm -hmm. to them. The second one is whenever the value is not, is a question mark. Right. So for example, um, when devaluation hit in Egypt, mm -hmm. I was working on a brand uh, on Always, which is a market leader. Yeah. And the growth has been all behind growing the market and growing the category. So growing the pie, it's not about growing share versus competition. <laughs> it's a great brand. It's a love mark. Everybody, every consumer I sit with tell me, I know it's a great brand. I would love to use it, but yep. I can't afford it. Yeah. And this is an right. issue where the, from a brand building standpoint and storytelling, it's not anymore about the brand. I need to figure out how can I make it still relevant to mm. her despite that she's telling me I can't afford it. And, um, and during devaluation, it was one of the toughest ones, hmm. actually toughest recent ones, because at the beginning, uh, on this brand specifically as well, one of the toughest ones were, uh, were actually how to make it relevant to hmm. the consumers in the first place in rural Africa and in Egypt and in Pakistan, where people are not using pads in the first place and they yeah. don't believe it's, there is a value. So I think, but in the recent times, the biggest is because this has nothing to do with the global proposition. I didn't have to adapt something. Honestly, we had to create a story specifically right. for consumers mm. in Egypt during devaluation that makes sense to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I would imagine you do this by uh, focusing, as you said, on the customer. The customer is the hero of the story. It's not about you as the brand. The brand is just... Uh, a facilitator or a, a guide through uh, this journey. Yeah. So I can share with you actually an example on yeah. that one. One, so let's yeah. me. Uh, let's that's a that. very, <laughs> yeah, that's a very dear one to my heart because actually it won um, two Effie's awards. Oh wow! <laughs> so um, let it. me let me give you actually the context. So the context on on this one. So basically. Exactly five years ago, the Egyptian pound devaluated on a course of six months by 50%, mm -hmm. resulting into major inflation, affordability drop. And on our always specifically category or, or femcare category, the problem is we had to really strike the balance between we need to price to be able to actually at least break even mm -hmm. but at the same time consumers are not in reality uh, able to afford the brand we had to make a solution i'll give you the context actually egypt's inflation rate is at its highest level in 30 years well egypt is suffering people who could once afford to shop at malls now look for bargains at secondhand stores as the local currency dropped by 48 percent the confidence of our target audience dropped by a hundred. Meet Yasmin. She, along with 25% of our target, couldn't afford always anymore. Switching back to cloth was her only option, an uncomfortable behavior we had spent years trying to save her from. Too shy to voice out her discomfort in view of her family's cash squeeze, she felt stuck between a bloody cloth and a tight budget. At a time when she had to give up everything, we did not want to give up on her. So how could we get a girl, who couldn't add up all the sacrifices she was making, to get back to her comfort zone? Simple. So, we say it's simple when we yeah. were applying for the FEs, 
but it's not really simple. So we had to do several things. One, we took over and launched a lower proposition, uh, actually stripped away the products that we, one of the products we had from all the luxuries. Mm -hmm. And it was driven from a consumer who told us, I buy whatever makes me feel smart. I don't have money. Right. If you're putting for me flowers, I don't flower. So we yeah. didn't compromise at all on the performance, but we removed the things that kind of make her, we, we, we discover that she kind of feel uh, um, annoyed. Mm. The brands don't feel for her. She I believes see. that you need to understand me. You need to feel for me. I need with 50% less, of my uh, affordability, still feed my kids, educate them, and buy my household. So I need brands who will feel for me and will give me something that will make me feel smart. So the first thing is that we launched a new product, but that was not enough. The second one is we figured out there are a lot of consumers were going into something very, very, very actually interesting. The way to save money, they were buying the smaller packs because oh. she doesn't have the cash at hand yeah. to buy bigger one. However, by buying the smaller pack, she was paying by pad a lot more versus buying the bigger pack, which we have mm. always on promotion. Right. And the way to do that is that we decided to do the math for her. <laughs> so our story was her story, and I'll share it with you the story, but it yeah. was all about how to save. Oh, wow. That's incredible. <laughs> so, um... By showing her that saving only one guinea a day, an amount within her reach, will help her save her comfort and confidence. <laughs> Wow. So, Shlomi, that's exactly her story. So this is yeah. what she told us. It's not us inventing it. I can't take credit for that. But right. when we sat with consumers, they're the one who told us their stories. Mm. She's the one who told us that when I go back to using cloth, yeah. when I have visitors, I'm very worried when my mom tells me to go and get the drinks because I don't know if I stained already or not. Right. She's the one who told us if you were going to have a communication that needs to convince my mom because my mom is the one who buys for me the pad, yep. she needs to know that I can't study because she mm. doesn't care about my embarrassment. My mom cares about my education. Yep. And according to the scene and the visual where you see her not able to study. I see. And basically it's the same product. It's the same brand. It's the same of what we stand for, which is, yeah, really be happy, always achieve more, go forward. But it's a go forward story, which we had for 10 years consistently, 
in a very different way that fits with the context and where she is today. Wow. No, I think this is fantastic because uh, I really like the way you describe it uh, specifically that uh, this story came uh, into the foreground after basically hearing it from many uh, consumers in your research. And the fact that you were able to extract that emotion of being left out, uh, like the brand doesn't really count me in. Uh, and then there's also the logical side of, you know, what I'm using as a replacement is much more expensive than the uh, this uh, the always uh, alternative so i think you kind of played on both the emotional brain you know the fact that hey you know you left me out you didn't consider me in the mix and at the same time there's also the logical thing you know that it also uh, cost effective much more affordable if you switch so i think uh, you got those two foundations right from uh, your consumers and this is a great uh, evidence that yeah. uh, thorough research is a fantastic way to create uh, meaningful stories because it, you're not inventing them, you know, out of your, in your marketing department brainstorming, it's actually coming from customers. And, and this is the biggest success driver yep. because when you then test, when we test, we, all, we always test big ads. And then when, when you retest the ads with consumers and you hear her saying, oh my God, this is exactly my story. Yeah. Or this is the story of my cousin. Do you know my cousin, this happened to her? Yeah. And then in a focus group, you start to have this energy of each one sharing her story exactly. because she believes that this represents her. Yeah. You know that you're off to something really big because definitely this is what will break through the clutter because <laughs> honestly today, we're all consumers at the end and we see a huge clutter of stories you see ads all the time on your youtube on your netflix on your yep. on, on every screen you're, you're you're using and you will stop and watch the one that makes sense to you and relates to you right it's no longer that we're sitting in front of the tv waiting for the stories to come and anyways we're yep. gonna all watch them all it's not yep. the case anymore yeah, and then also what I liked about the example you just showed, and I wonder if you could take this into account when you create them, that it doesn't feel like an ad. And that's really how I define great visual storytelling. It doesn't feel like an ad. It feels like a, actually a, a short film or an artsy a kind of content that uh, people would choose to, to tune in and because it's actually talking about real stories from real people. Do you find that you actually take this into account, this artistic yeah. approach? Yeah, we moved out of brand voice to mm -hmm. consumer voice, I honestly, see. on this brand eight years ago. Got it. Or 10 years ago, actually. I just mm -hmm. discovered that it, I grew older two years. But 10 years ago, we moved from talking brand yep. a la the very old fashioned ads right. of this is the story, this is how the brand will come and solve it, and, yep. and then yep. close by the brand voice saying exactly. what the brand does a consumer story mm. and a consumer realization journey where the advertising walk through in the shoes of the consumer and we figured out that that comes with a lot of emotions yep. and usually the recall become becomes very high absolutely yeah no so, so you're pretty much following like the classic story uh, three acts story structure which is like the setting conflict resolution you're kind of changing the different parts uh, but it's coming from uh, the customer uh, perspective. Uh, the brand is just a really kind of a, I call it like the magical object <laughs> that helps uh, solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, very cool. And one thing that I'm always uh, curious about, you know, obviously you came from a large uh, global uh, company like P&G, just in terms of a terminology, you kind of uh, briefly touched on it earlier. And if we're thinking about the brand architecture, you know, major brands always have their own brand architecture. So if I use this example, I wonder if this is how you address it as well. So let's say, you know, you have a global brand family and narrative around Tide. So there is a one narrative statement, what Tide is all about. Then you have regional park narrative about let's say Tide Black Abaya, and that's really customized to that region. And then you go down to a local brand narrative uh, adapted to each market. Uh, let's say you take the, the Black Abaya and adapt it to Egypt versus uh, Saudi Arabia. And then what you do in each uh, market, you go one level down, which is really supporting local visual stories like the one you just showed that really specifically telling a story from that market. Did, am I right in this brand architecture hierarchy? Yeah. So the equity doesn't change. So the yeah. brand architecture or the brand equity pyramid, if we would call it, this is how we called it in PNG, doesn't change from yeah. a from a from a country to the other. It's the sticky assets or the communication assets that mm. that that makes difference. And you yeah. will find, for example, Tide Black Abaya is product is the Tide Black in the US called yeah. Black Abaya in the GCC because the black Mm. is really the abaya that the females wear. Right. So just taking this technology that is global, mm. calling it, we can easily call it black, right? Everybody right. has black. Yeah. But calling it and making it about the abaya just makes me as a consumer feel they understood me. Mm. They know I have abaya. This right. one is developed only for me. Yeah. Yeah. If I do it in Egypt... I wouldn't do it about Abaya. I wouldn't even launch Abaya. By the way, the Tide mm. Abaya does not exist in Egypt. I see. Because the Abaya is not the national mm. costume. I see. But you would find, for example, we hear so much the white mm. in, um, in Egypt versus in the GCC countries, we hear the black. Why? Mm. Because in Egypt, we discovered years ago that the women in rural areas hanging their clothes, the white clothes mm -hmm. among their neighbors is her moment of pride. Oh, yeah. The one with the whitest <laughs> and br brightest colors is the one that uh, uh, that is the best mom, the best housewife. Right. So this is a pride moment to her. So you will find a lot of heroing about the whites in a country like Egypt. At the end of the day, any any company has the black and the white and the colors. It's a yeah. matter of one of those all global offerings would you offer this consumer. And it really comes from really knowing the consumers. Because if you don't spend time with them, yeah. how would you? Exactly. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like you need to be to wear the anthropologist hat in a way to kind of figure out, you know, the cultural differences and the different meanings they assign to your brand. And as yeah. you said, kind of customize it. And so, so I'm guessing, you know, for any marketer watching or listening to this, uh, how do you uh, track uh, success metrics? What success looks like for you in a campaign? So there are honestly in-process measures and end in mind. 
the end of mind is really depending on what the campaign is for. Mm-hmm. Is it an equity and emotional campaign? Is it mm-hmm. a campaign that drives a specific product? Right. Uh, then it's, it's it's the sales and the pickup on this specific product, mm-hmm. or is it a brand building campaign where my 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 KPIs would be really the brand health, the brand equity, the top of mind awareness, and the recall of the ad. Mm-hmm. And we measure all of that. I the see. other thing, but this we measure it and we get to know it three, four months down the road after a campaign is launched. Mm-hmm. The one thing that we do as well, and we are trying, um, at least in PNG, we were trying to be faster in that and more pragmatic, yeah. is that we test ads. We mm. do place ads with consumers before we spend millions on them on the media and test their their yeah. their their story. So the the we we test the story as if you're testing a movie. Basically, oh, you you check with the consumers how well did they get the story, did they comprehend it, what's Brand recall. Uh, the ability, yeah. the recall, yeah. the purchase intent post seeing this ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Honestly, most of the players now and the marketeers are trying to be though a bit more pragmatic in this mm-hmm. so that you're faster to market because we create a lot of content now on digital yeah. that doesn't take years. It expires very fast on digital. Exactly. In, the, in, the, in the old time when it was only about offline, you would put an ad for six, seven months. Now an ad on digital would expire in a month maximum if somebody's very lucky and have a great story. So all marketeers were trying to look into how can we test it digitally in a fast forward 24 mm-hmm. hour test that gets you those results, but in a very agile uh, uh, tools that are digital, that are panels, mm-hmm. ready-made panels that give you the same sense check, but without really having the long, lengthy process. Got it. Now, in terms of uh, uh, the tactics of a uh, reaching the consumer, you mentioned paid media with ads. Uh, do you do anything on the uh, content marketing side, uh, things that are more around uh, maybe user-generated content where consumers actually creating the content around specific hashtag or another approach that you see with major brands, they create brand documentary films about a, you know, a theme or that they really believe in, like think of Patagonia films, they believe in the environment, so they have that. Do you do anything of that nature? Not at the, not in PNG, honestly. Uh, uh-huh. It was an open space for us that we wanted to look at for so long, but where we were still traditional, very soon for a Shea brands, it's a big priority. Uh, we're riding the the bus of transformation, partnering with uh, with with different digital partners like TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, all of those to really right. do create workshops and see how can mm-hmm. we play in this area right. I think on retail brand and fashion brands and and in this industry mm-hmm. it's very important to to be ahead of the game on that sure. specifically influencers and consumer generated content because it's being generated already mm. whether the brand is part of it or not there is a lot of content being generated by consumers so I think this is an area that uh, I'm, I'm investigating a lot with digital partners now. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't seen it happening on PNG level. I see. Uh, but uh, very yeah. soon. So yeah. next time we talk, I'll update you where yeah, we are. I'd love to, yeah. And one thing, since you probably 
in your previous role in this one, you are managing more, more than one region. Do you find sometimes that uh, campaigns that you run in one region actually are benefiting another region in terms of uh, maybe a line of thinking or execution wise? Do you see any kind of relationship between the regions? Look, line of thinking, yes. How mm-hmm. to bring it to life executionally? Yeah. No, and it mm. needs to be adapted. Mm. The adaptation changes from, yeah. so for example, a storyline in Saudi would be extremely different than a storyline for UAE, for mm-hmm. example. Consumers are, are completely different. Saudi is mostly locals, mm-hmm. less expats, um, with a very big pride of the, how the Saudi journey of, of, of modernization is now. Mm-hmm. And we need to really be up to date. Yep. In UAE, more than 90% are expat communities. Mm. I can't take the same cast and the same storyline right. here. I could leverage the same shoot. I can share the same brand story. But right. then I need to be very clear that the storyline is different. Yeah. That this same cast will need to look different. That this... I can, I can do a lot of leverage, honestly. On the workflow between, side, yeah. Mm-hmm. On a workflow size on the back end. Yeah, yeah. Then what comes to the consumer needs to be drastically looking different. Absolutely. And the story needs to speak her story. Mm. I can't go and speak to a combo of expats that yeah. what actually combine them together is that they have so much ambition and so much aspiration in life and they want to achieve more. And that's why they're leaving their countries and going to a different country to live there and achieve more progression in life. In the same way, I would speak to a local who just got a lot of liberties and new freedoms and are opening up and feel very proud about being the first female to work, the first female to drive, the first female generation to be entrepreneurs. I can't talk to them the same thing. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You got to really leverage. I just remembered, you know, the time I worked for Nokia and we were thinking about how to leverage lessons from one market uh, that was considered strong to a, a weaker one. And there were some, uh, you know, uh, ideas around that. Uh, but you're right, it has to do with the workflows more than uh, the actual output. The output needs to be customized. And yeah, we, we're kind of reaching the, the end of our segment. Uh, but uh, one question I always like to end with is, uh, what would you say are your top three tips uh, for marketers that looking to adapt their visual storytelling strategy to a particular region or several regions? I think one is consumerism boss. I would continue to cherish this one because this is the driver for me. Mm-hmm. And I think think possibilities before limitation because we're all, whoever a marketeer who's leading a region you always have those limitations of, yeah, but I don't have budget to do seven different adapts or seven different copies. Think, let's think possibilities first, because Mm -hmm. if you know the consumer, you crack the story, you crack what it could possibly look like and the revenue and the up uh, um, side that you can get out of being relevant. Mm -hmm. Then on the back end, efficiencies can be still done, even though that you're very local. 
So mm. I think there, there, there are three things. Consumers, know the consumer first, what needs to be true. Yeah. Think of no limitation first. Then when funds and budget becomes a limitation, there is a lot of scale that can happen mm-hmm. on a back-end level that the consumer doesn't see. The yeah. consumer will not know that I shot the, the ads for Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, and Egypt in the same shoot, in the same location, in the yeah. same set. They that's wouldn't so know true. that yeah. with different casts, with different stories. That's, a, that's an efficiency that as marketeer, we need to figure it out with our agencies, but yeah. it can happen. Yeah. But I think the first yeah. two are the most important. And then efficiency is the way to convince people to, to do the first two. Awesome. No, I really love the, the way you describe it, you know, know your truth, your customer truth. And then really, you know, don't limit yourself, open up your imagination and then kind of frame it within your budget where the efficiency, as you said, you can scale it uh, to multiple regions uh, with the same workflow. So this is brilliant. So Jacqueline, thank you so much uh, for your time today. I mean, I learned so much and I'm sure my uh, viewers and, uh, you know, also my listeners are super excited about uh, the amazing work you're doing uh, in the Middle East, uh, in the Dubai area, working on a variety of regions, bringing to life uh, brands uh, with your visual storytelling strategy. So if people are really interested to learn more, how they can contact you? I'm on LinkedIn. So that's the biggest social media platform from professionals. So they would find me easy (laughs) and very much accessible. Excellent. Wonderful. All right. So thank you again uh, for a great conversation today. And all of you, uh, we'll see you in our next episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Thank you. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes Store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.